Welcome to another episode of Anime Geekons TV. My name is Doug Wilder, and well, we're finally able to do convention reports again, and not just virtual conventions, real life in-person conventions. And I got to go to my very first <laughs> uh, in-person convention since the uh, COVID-19 pandemic began, and hopefully things are moving in the right direction. Just keep remembering to wear your masks, get vaccinated if you haven't already, and all that good stuff. But let's talk about how Otakon 2021 was, because it was a very unique year. And this was part of the reason why I wanted to make sure I attended when they announced that it was going to happen. So first off, I want to say that the convention itself made it very clear, um, both before the convention and during the convention, everyone was going to be required to wear a mask inside the convention center. No exceptions. This was spelled out repeatedly on their social media. Um, you saw signs for it everywhere, including their little uh, crab mascot that they use sometimes having a mask and stuff like that. Um, and you even saw a lot of cosplayers take this as an opportunity to make a mask that actually ma matched their costume and make it uh, really clever. So cosplayers took it as a good opportunity. And for the most part, I never really saw anybody disobeying it. Everyone from staff to vendors to panelists uh, i'll get to panelists actually in a second um and just regular attendees everyone was following the policy really nicely so there were some people that as soon as they stepped outside were taking it but i mean hey they were keeping it on inside that's really good i think that's fantastic thing so mentioning to the panelists i did not run one of my own panels i was a guest on a friend's panel and the staff went kind of back and forth. First, they said, um, if you're presenting, you can take the mask off because you're six feet away. Um, you're not going to be too close to other people. Then they said, nope, everyone has to wear the mask regardless. And then they went back to, while you're six feet away, it's fine. Um, and as it turned out, every panel I went to, everyone was uh, wearing their mask pretty much for the entire presentation, which I think as panelists, that's a really good example to set, you know, show the good behavior and things like that. And I think, you know, just smart, safe decision too. Uh, so one of our questions that we got about Otakon was from someone on Twitter. Uh, I hope I'm not butchering the name. Lacuna Craft asked how the, the crowding felt. And one of the things I will say about Otakon this year is compared to previous years at the Walter Washington Convention Center, and this is still compared to the old site at the Baltimore Convention Center. It's only been a couple years. It's still kind of the newer site. It's a little harder to judge, but I would say I heard a couple people throw, throw around the number of, it feels like it's about 70% what it would be in a normal year. And I think that's a pretty good estimate. Um, they have set up their official numbers and things like that. But because of the move to D.C. and uh, everything like, and the pandemic, it's really hard to judge how successful of a year it was attendance-wise. So a little hard there. You, The other thing that was very visible to me right off the bat and just in little kind of unique ways were you could see that Otakon, if you kind of looked under the surface, was definitely trying to cut some of their costs and... You know, the, we saw previously that they had put out the call for donations, asking for some financial help and things like that. 
So you could see they were trying to keep it a little bit slimmer here. Obviously, they didn't have any, you know, international guests coming in, things like that. So that saved, probably saved a bunch of money there. But you also saw things like they didn't have a printed program guide. Um, they only had what they call their awesome sheet of awesomeness, which is basically uh, just a sheet with the, the maps of the convention center site and, and like a few quick reference uh, pieces of information like hours for certain events and like the dealer's room and things like that. Um, speaking of the dealer's room, it w definitely was less populated than uh, previous years. Didn't have as many vendors. Some either didn't come. I only saw like really for an industry booth would be maybe be the discotheque booth and really they're honestly more just like a regular old vendor you didn't really see a big industry presence there um and it also one of the things we found out was that the lanes for the vendors were actually kind of 10 feet apart and uh which is an ex uh a different length than before because that way kind of even if you had some people at your booth they would still kind of, even if, you know, people next to each other are at your booth, but across the aisle, they're still at least six feet apart, which was a nice little uh, decision there, I thought. Um, it did fill the space a little bit, but it still felt kind of empty. Um, one of the things that I did find really strange was um, this. there's this one company that I know is at least at a lot of East Coast conventions. I'm not sure how far in America they are, is... Wild Bill's Soda, which is a company that sells like metal mugs. I actually have kind of one of my older ones right here that I've used previously, got at a previous Otacon. And they have a program where you buy the mug and then either you get unlimited soda refills that weekend or you just pay a daily price to get free refills for that day. And it's, you know, it's not a bad model. However, everyone's there pulling the taps, refilling their own soda and everything like that. And I know they have a little bit of a rinse station, but I still personally with the pandemic still not fully behind us, I really feel like that was a bad choice. And I understand you want a vendor there. And as a vendor who's built on catering to events like this, you need to make money. I think it was a bad decision. If I had, I'd walked by and they had said, oh, well, we have a limited edition Oticon 2021 mug, you know, only available this year. We're selling it now. I may have bought one just to kind of support a vendor that is good, even though I wasn't going to get any drinks from them. But I didn't hear anything about that. And again, back to the cost cutting measures, even Oticon's merchandise booth, the only kind of new merch they had were Oticon branded masks which sold out very quickly, um, and they didn't have any new year-branded merchandise this year. Again, I think just because they didn't know how many people were going to come, and if you got to cut costs, that's one way to do it. So, um, But going back to the lack of the physical guide, so the only really way to find out panels on-site about panels coming up were the online website and the guidebook app. I'll talk about both of those. So first off, the online schedule on the website, I it was a really weird model that you had to check by room by day. So you could only see like, say, what is in going on panel room one on Saturday? And you'd click on it and that's all you could see. Um, and then like maybe you could get the little descriptions on it. 
but you couldn't just kind of browse the entire thing all at once, which if you're not doing anything like on one day or you're like, okay, what's happening at two o'clock on Friday, you couldn't really compare everything that was going on at the same time, which was really kind of annoying. If you have the guidebook app on your phone, which generally we love the guidebook here at AnimeCons TV, the app works really well. It's a great way to kind of make your own schedule, things like that. I promise we're not getting any money from guidebook. I like them. But the thing about I noticed in the guidebook app is it didn't have some of the usual features that you could do, like rate a the quality of a panel, like say, oh, I thought this was a five-star panel, or oh, this was a really bad panel, it's only one star. It also didn't list the presenter names in the app, and I don't know if that was just something Otakon forgot to do or they chose not to do, but it's one of those things that I sometimes look to just kind of browse and see, oh, well, this what's the what's this panel about you know what this name oh this is presented by so-and-so i really like when they do panels i want to make sure i go to it now that i know they're presenting it and so not to have those presenter names was a little strange the last little cost-cutting measure i'll mention is you could tell they didn't have as much programming space um like there was basically nothing in the marriott hotel marriott marquee hotel which is connected to the convention center aside from photo shoot rooms, like they had two rooms divided by air walls that you could walk between for different photo shoots that people scheduled through the conventions. Um, but um, there was just, these were just empty rooms, no setting, anything. This was just a spot to take pictures and easy to meet up. And that was it. Um, going back to the masks for a moment, this was one of the cooler convent uh, groups I saw was there was a bunch of Gundam Seed uh, cosplayers. They had a group of people from the uh, Archangel crew, and they all had uh, matching masks for the Gundam from that series. And then another one that's kind of from the the character Isaac um, had a mask that matched the dual Gundam. So they had all of them were in character and matching their kind of faction, which I thought was a really clever way to do masks. Um, but... Again, going back to the programming space, um, there wasn't a very big room for seated uh, screening stuff for anything. Like, they had a room called the AMV Theater, and they had a couple of panels in there. Um, but I actually went there for the AMV contest. It was the first time in a while. I did not have anything scheduled during that time on Friday. I was like, oh, good. I'm going to check out the AMVs. I love seeing them when I can get to the contest because I usually walk away with at least one or two new shows that I see a AMV about. Oh, it's like, oh, I know nothing about it, but now that I saw that AMV, I want to check it out. And that was really cool to be able to do. Unfortunately, I don't know if it was just they didn't have the AC turned up as high as it should be because they weren't trying, you know, wanted to make sure nothing was spreading, too much was spreading in the uh, convention center or what, but that room was just a sauna. It was super hot, it was super warm, and I was starting to get really kind of frustrated, and even though I had a water bottle that I was sipping out of through a straw, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't helping. And that combined with the fact that I was towards the back of the room, and any t I just got unlucky with a lot of people, probably because they got hot, deciding, oh, I'm not gonna stay for the rest of the music videos, getting up and leaving and walking in front of me, which was already kind of annoying interruption. 
However, Otakon staff was trying to get people seated into um, empty seats so they weren't standing in the back or waiting in line outside to come see the contest. But because my row was so close to the back, whenever a seat opened up, it felt like every 30 seconds a staffer was sending more people in front of me to sit down and then these people, half the time these people wouldn't stay for a couple of minutes and they're like, oh, you know what, I don't want to stay. And I'd get interrupted again and the process would repeat itself. And I tried to talk to the staffer the last time they did say, hey, can you wait till the end of the song? Or hey, can you pick another spot? Like look for other places where people are leaving. And I just kind of got a shrug from the staffer. And I was maybe a quarter way through the AMV uh, contest screening when I finally decided, you know what, I'm I'm getting too frustrated, I'm hot, I'm angry, I'm gonna get upset at someone who's being seated who doesn't even know any better because they're new to the seating and I'm just gonna lose my temper. And so I actually took myself out of it and I was thinking about it. This is the only time I've ever lost an AMV, left an AMV contest because I felt angry. I've, usually if I've left, it's because I've had another event or another obligation that I have to go to or I stay through the end. This was the first time in, you know, I've been going to conventions since two, uh, 2001. This was the first time I left that room feeling angry. And I, I hate that I had to do that, but between the heat and everything else, I just couldn't take it. And it was probably the only time for me personally that with the heat and like not feeling comfortable that I honestly felt a little concerned about whether or not the, um, the safety, you know, the air quality was safe within the convention center. So that's a weird part. So, but again, that was the only time that I really bothered me. I did check out a couple of panels. One of the panels that they held in that AMV theater as just a regular panel um, was Evan Minto from Annie Gamers, the Annie Gamers podcast, who we need to get on this show at some point, had a real a panel called The Art of the Eye Catch, which he talks about, you know, the eye catches between parts of the episodes and things like that. And my feedback there is it's a he had mentioned that it was his first time doing this panel, that he still needs to do some more research and see if he can't find out more information. And it felt like a very, very good first draft. Like it was a really good panel that if it comes together a bit more and it gets a little more, more research and find some other uh, pieces that he can mention, either from feedback from people that went to the panel or stuff like that, that this could be a really fascinating panel to talk about. So I hope it comes back in another form. It improves because it's got a, he's got a great idea there and I hope he runs with it. Um, so that was one. Um, George Horvath, who some of you guys might know as Land of Obscusion, ran a panel called uh, Companies That Knew Nothing About What Anime Fan Wants. Um, yes, I know it's not fans. That's part of the panel name. And that was a great one talking about history, uh, the history of licensing companies in America that, or in some outside of America, that just had no clue what they were doing for getting uh, anime licenses and distributing in America at, or in, or anywhere, really. And just the stories he find, found and just some of the things. And it's like some of them are like, oh, man, I, re I remember when that company did that. And then there's ones that are like, wait, they did what? And they are, it's a really fun panel. worth Definitely worth checking out. Um, let's see. The last fan panel that I'll, I'll, I want to mention is, or actually there's two. 
The first one was uh, History of Hentai in English by uh, Gerald Rothko from the NYU World Order podcast. That was really fun. Of course, it was an 18 plus panel, but again, it was well researched, a lot of neat information, stuff I didn't know, stuff I wish I never had to know. But he, it's, it's interesting to see um, all the information that's brought out and when you can be, it's weird being in a panel that's so well researched and talking about, you know, hentai, but it worked and it was really good. And there was another one that I just did uh, on kit pashing, which unfortunately I cannot remember the name of off the top of my head. I apologize, but it was a good workshop one. They had a camera set up for showing the setup and how they did it was they pre-made their armature, which is just kind of the skeleton of the thing they're creating. And I loved the angle that they went with for showing how approachable it is. You had the one person running the panel, talking about how it is like, oh, this you do this, 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 and this, and kind of working on his own while he's doing that. And then he brought a friend, he had a friend that he brought on that had never done any kit bashing and just kind of listened to the, the instructions he was giving. And every so often it's like, hey, I, I forget the name of the person. I, I, I apologize, but it's like, hey, Bob, how are you doing on, on what you're building for the first time? And they'd cut over to him and show him how he's doing it. So it's like, okay, look, this this is a person. Here's what the veteran's doing. But look, this person is doing it for the first time right now, following the, the directions we give. And look at the stuff he's making. And as someone who has never done any kit bashing but likes building model kits, having that, hey, look, you can do this right away, just starting today was really cool and like all, it was a nice confidence boost of like hey even i can do this which that's something you want in a workshop you want people to feel like this is something i can do too and that it doesn't it doesn't take that much uh the two industry panels i went to uh was De uh, denpo the manga publisher which they announced a few new things showed a couple new things um but one of the things they talked about some of the licenses is that they got the original plates, like the big original pieces for um, the prints of, of the manga in Japan, and they're going in, restoring them and stuff like that. And I absolutely love it when companies don't just be, aren't just in an industry panel, rah, rah, look what we got. Hey, isn't this cool? There are, there's a time and a place for that. And believe me, I'm going to get to that. But I like seeing the nuts and bolts and talking about it a little more. And that was a good one because I hadn't heard much of that from a manga standpoint before. And I would really like to see more companies take the approach of how to create a regional release, and especially if it's like a remastered or something like that. How Talk about that process, like turn that into a panel, get, get people like that, that tr work hard at adjusting and updating and things like that i think that's there's a great panel in there um friends that i know that are in the industry if you're watching or if someone told you about this episode yes please make that a panel i think that's you've got a lot of potential there and i think a lot of people would really enjoy that speaking of licensors that talk about the nuts and bolts of and their misadventures of creating stuff the other one i went to was the discotech media panel which I am a huge fan of the work they do. They do a lot of neat releases. They talked about um, all the stuff that they've got for their Project ACO 
Blu-ray release, which is insane, and all the hard work and everything they did that. And then they talk about um, Ronin Warriors, or the Japanese name uh, Samurai Troopers, how they had to go for their, they're going to do a Blu-ray release of it, and all the things they had to do, because apparently in the English Ronin Warriors release, they changed the speeds in a bunch of random places to make it fit in the American TV block and all this weird stuff, and how they went back and adjusted those speeds so the Japanese version and the English version match up, and just like you know here's all of a sudden oh we've got it all fixed and now here's 400 gigabytes on my the computer i was working at just for this show and it's just crazy stuff like that um and of course that was a lot of neat stuff and i've we've had mike tool uh who on this podcast before and he works for discotech and one of the things i love about the panel that he does is he keeps it running he keeps the moving keeps talking about it he gets a few points about what they're working on but then it's like you know what all right we got to keep going rolling along and stuff like that and it's those of you who've been to the discotech panel before you know it's a very positive one like you feel really good about all the stuff they're doing it's everyone's there to have a good time because they like they like anime they like seeing that stuff and it feels like a very welcoming space and i've said before i want to bottle that energy because it's such a good feeling and i wish i could feel experience that kind of good vibe year-round so, kind of the grand finale for the Discotech Media Panel at Otakon 2021 was, oh, by the way, we're going to be doing a Blu-ray release, remastered, lots of extras for Gunbuster. That room lost its goddamn mind, myself included, and whatever good feelings I say I want to bottle from a normal Discotech panel, that level of excitement and just happy feelings and everything was high octane unleaded unfiltered pure glee like the highest tier top shelf energy of that kind like everyone was just so excited and i can think of very few licenses license announcements i've seen at a convention by a company that have gotten that strong of a reaction from a crowd and it was just just incredible um so yeah that I, i'll be ready to buy that as soon as i can because that's super exciting but it was one of the neat things um and because the discotheque panel was on saturday evening and normally they're like sunday afternoon at otakon it was the things just about everyone was talking about that like the crew that i know that likes older anime and stuff like that it seemed like that's all everyone could talk about the next day. So the hype tune just kept running. And because they played it at the end of the panel, as everyone's filtering out, I've had Active Heart uh, stuck in my head for almost a week now. And I'm not complaining because that's going to be really fun to check out. So th that's about it. I will say just kind of a few other little tidbits here and there. Um, I think the con all told did really well given the circumstances last time to prepare lower pop you know lower amount of attendees i you know you know i think masking having everyone mask was good i kind of wish they could have said you need to be vaccinated but i don't you know maybe the protocol wasn't available at that time um that said i personally made a point of getting myself tested for covid the day before I left, so 
I, you know, or I would get my results the day before I left. So I knew I was, you know, clear going down. And I also, as soon as I got back, the day I got back, I also tested. Thankfully, I came back negative, but I made sure both going, going to and from that I was safe there. And that helped put my mind at ease there. I haven't heard anything since, but I hope that it's done well. It was the convention center and the city's first uh, major big event since the pandemic. So I think it was they were kind of using it as a little bit of a test bed to see how things go. And I, again, I think all things considered, they did very well. A couple weird decisions here and there, like I mentioned the Wild Bills thing. But they, it's, it was a really good feeling. And I know a lot of people were nervous, myself included. I know some people wish they had done a bit more social distancing in the seats for some of the rooms. I personally, anytime I could find a seat that had kind of a bubble of six feet around, so I wasn't too close to people, I opted for that and things like that. But every all considered, I think they did the best job they could. And I hope it, Otakon, you know, is going to succeed with this and move forward just because it was a weird and off year. One of the things that stands out to me as I was doing it is, again, this is my first convention back. And it's weird to think the last time I had gone to a convention in person was November 2019. So it's been a while. And Otakon's the convention I've been going to the longest. I have a lot of positive feelings. And I remember going in line to pick up my press badge, uh, which was just in the regular registration room. And it was a conversation with the head of um, the press relations team, who I've known for years at this point, a very friendly face and even friendly face, even behind the mask. And I remember being, you know, here's your go. Here you go. Here's your badge. And without even thinking, I blurted it out. It's good to be home again. And whatever complications and hurdles that came, it, that was such a good feeling. And you saw that in so many other, so much of the behavior of everyone there. Everyone really wanted to make this a good time for everyone else. Like, you, you never really got that vibe of anybody being a jerk. Like, normally at a convention, it feels like there's always that one or two, oh, it's that guy being obnoxious or shouting memes or running around being annoying. Everyone was really involved in making sure that this was a really good weekend for everyone. And I personally walked away feeling really good. I'm still really worried that post-con depression is going to hit in uh, me when I least expected. I'm worried that, you know, maybe if the pandemic doesn't get under control, things might go back to being locked down and future conventions might have to cancel or postpone or whatever. But everything felt like, okay, everything's not back to normal yet, but this is a strong sign that it is getting back to normal. So I hope that we continue on this trend. I hope that Otakon and everybody else does well. Um, just my own personal opinion is don't forget that if you are able to get vaccinated, please do so because that's how we're going to beat this. And in the meantime, stay safe, take care of each other and take care of yourselves. And if you have any questions about Oda my experience at Otakon that I didn't get into on this episode 
or just about cons coming back in general or just whatever other stuff you want to ask us about conventions don't forget to email us you can email us at podcast at animecons.tv we're also on twitter uh instagram tumblr uh all over the place on fa- you know we're on facebook if you want to find us uh you can always just look us up online too at animecons.tv we love hearing from you guys and especially now that cons are coming back we're hoping that we can hear from you guys again soon My name is Doug Wilder. See you again soon.